You're listening to The World in My Eyes. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Hello, Renegade Nation, and welcome to yet another episode of The World in My Eyes, where I get the opportunity to share all the crazy voices in my head with you on a regular basis. And we spent such a great deal of time getting to know each other so very well. But in case you're new, I am the naughty mistress with the mostess, the melodic goddess, and the deviant diva, naughty Nicole Delacroix. Now, before we get started with today's episode, I do want to remind all you naughty little listeners out there that if you're searching for some naughtiness on the internet, then make sure that you visit our sponsor, Adam and Eve Toys. And by being a renegade listener, well, they're going to give you one hell of a deal. Use special offer code BABE69, that's B-A-B-E-69, and they're going to give you 50% off of one very special item. But that's not all. No, they're going to throw in free shipping. They're going to throw in three choice adult movies to get you in the mood and a very special renegade-only listener gift. And let me tell you this, the folks over at Adam and Eve Toys, they really do know how to treat you right. So make sure you head on over there today and pick up something really naughty for yourself or for a friend. Also, don't forget that the Renegade Talk Radio Network is growing each and every day. We've got a brand new website, so make sure that you've got it bookmarked. And check out all the fascinating and provocative shows on the website. We've got Deep Insight into Conspiracies with Everly Isby, Entrepreneurship and Business with Heather Havenwood, and as always, Hilarity and Hijinks with Richie and our very own Sammy the Sausage Man. And you can check out my other show, Big Trouble in Little Vagina, where we strive to become better partners, better lovers, and better people in general. And don't forget, there's so much more great talk radio on its way to you, so make sure you're checking back daily. Because I promise you this, you do not want to miss what's coming up next. And on today's episode of The World in My Eyes, I am so excited. Because we're exploring the most wondrous time of the year. That's right, boys and girls. Today, I'm going to share with you all the wonder and excitement of one of my favorite holidays. Straddling the line between fall and winter or life and death, Halloween is a time of celebration and superstition. Believed to have originated with the, with the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, where people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off roaming ghosts, Halloween is one of the most celebrated and misunderstood holidays. Sure, Halloween had its beginnings in the ancient pre-Christian Celtic festival of the dead, the Celtic peoples, once found all over Europe, divided their year by four major holidays. And according to their calendar, the year actually began on a day that corresponds to November 1st on our present calendar and marked the beginning of winter. Since they were farmers and shepherds, pastoral people, it was a time when cattle and sheep had been moved to closer pastures and secured for the winter months. Crops had been harvested and stored. The date marked both an ending and a beginning in the eternal cycle. The festival observed at this time was called Samhain. It was the biggest and most significant holiday of the Celtic year. The Celts believed that at the time of Samhain, more so than at any other time of the year, the ghosts of the dead 
were able to mingle with the living. Because, at Samhain, the souls of those who had died during the year would travel to the other world. People gathered to sacrifice animals, fruits, and vegetables. They also lit bonfires in honor of the dead to aid them on their journey and to keep them away from the living. On that day, all manner of beings were abroad. Ghosts, fairies, and demons, all part of the dark and dread. Samhain became the Halloween that we are familiar with when Christian missionaries attempted to change the religious practices of the Celtic people. In the early centuries of the first millennium AD, before missionaries converted them to Christianity, the Celtics practiced an elaborate religion through their priestly caste, the Druids. They were priests, poets, poets, scientists, and scholars all at once. As religious leaders, ritual specialists, and bearers of learning, the Druids were not unlike the very missionaries and monks who were to Christianize their people and brand them eventually as evil devil worshippers. As a result of their efforts to wipe out pagan holidays, such as Samhain, the Christians succeeded in effecting major transformations in it. In 601, Pope Gregory I issued a now-famous edict to his missionaries concerning the native beliefs and customs of the peoples he hoped to convert. Rather than try to obliterate the native people's customs and beliefs, the Pope instead instructed his missionaries to use them. For example, if a group of people worshipped a tree, rather than cut it down, he advised his his ministers to consecrate it to Christ and allow its continued worship. And in terms of spreading the new faith, it was a brilliant concept. Church holy days were purposely set to coincide with pagan holy days. Christmas, for example, was assigned an arbitrary date of December 25th, simply because it corresponded with the midwinter celebration. Samhain, however, with its emphasis on the supernatural, was decidedly pagan. While missionaries identified their holy days with those observed by the Celts, they branded the earlier religion's supernatural deities as evil and associated them with the devil. Anybody else thinking the water boy? It's the devil. (laughs) As representatives of the rival religion, Druids were considered evil worshippers of devilish or demonic gods and spirits. The Celtic underworld inevitably became identified with the Christian hell. The effects of this policy were to diminish, but not eradicate the beliefs of the, of the traditional gods. Celtic belief in supernatural creatures persisted. While the church made deliberate attempts to define them as being not merely dangerous, but malicious. Followers of the old religion went into hiding, and were branded as witches. Then, in the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as a time to honor all saints and martyrs, All Saints Day. This feast was meant to substitute for Samhain, to draw the devotion of the Celtic peoples, and finally to replace it forever. But guess what? It didn't happen. But the traditional Celtic deities diminished in status, becoming fairies and leprechauns, and of the more recent traditions. 
The old beliefs associated with Samhain never died out entirely. The powerful symbolism of the traveling dead was just too strong, and perhaps too basic to the human psyche to be satisfied with the new, more abstract Catholic feast of honoring saints. Recognizing that something that would include the original energy of Samhain was needed, the church tried again to supplant it with a Christian feast day in the ninth century. This time, it established November 2nd as All Souls Day, a day when the living prayed for the souls of all of the dead. But, once again, the practice of retaining traditional customs while attempting to redefine them had a sustaining effect, and the traditional beliefs and customs lived on, just wearing a new guise. All Saints Day, otherwise known as All Hallows, or hallowed when it means sanctified and holy, continued the ancient Celtic traditions. The evening prior to the day was the time of the most intense activity, both human and supernatural. People continued to celebrate All Hallows' Eve as a time of the wandering dead, but the supernatural beings were now thought to be evil. The folk continued to propitate these spirits, and the masked impersonators, by setting out gifts of food and drink. Subsequently, All Hallows' Eve became Hallow Evening, which became Halloween, an ancient Celtic pre-Christian New Year's Day in contemporary dress. Virtually all present Halloween traditions can be traced to the ancient Celtic Day of the Dead. Halloween is a holiday of many mysterious customs, but each one has a rich history, or at least a story behind it. The wearing of costumes and roaming from door to door demanding treats? Well, that can be traced to the Celtic period and the first few centuries of the Christian era, when it was thought that the souls of the dead were out and around, along with the fairies, witches, and demons. Offerings of food and drink were left out to placate them. As the centuries wore on, people began dressing like these dreadful creatures, performing antics in exchange for food and drink. This practice is called mumming, from which the practice of trick-or-treating evolved. To this day, witches, ghosts, and skeleton figures of the dead are among the favorite disguises. Halloween also retains some features that harken back to the original harvest holiday of Samhain, such as the custom of bobbing for apples, and carving vegetables, as well as the fruits, nuts, and spices, ciders, and others that are associated with the day. All right, my very spooky listeners, we're just getting started, and before we get too far into it, we do need to take a minute to visit with our sponsors and maybe check out a little scary music for you. You're listening to The World in My Eyes. I am still naughty and spooky, Nicole. And this is Renegade Talk Radio, so meet me back here after the break. (laughs) Attention all you men out there over the age of 31. Did you know that according to a study out of the University of California in San Diego, men with low testosterone levels have a 33% greater risk of an early death than men who had a higher testosterone level? And when your testosterone levels get too low, you begin to experience a drop in sex drive, poor stamina, weak erections, and, worst of all, a totally unresponsive penis. 
no man wants this. And trust me, it doesn't have to be this way for you. Because now there's a way to turn on your body's natural production of testosterone, kickstarting it into overdrive. Introducing Spartagen XT, the brand new breakthrough in men's performance. Spartagen XT is proven to turbocharge your libido, help you maintain jaw-dropping erections, and give you the rock star stamina and energy that you need to get the job done. Listen, if you want to keep her satisfied all year round and be the only man that she'll ever need, then visit this website and see if you qualify for your own supply today. Just go to www.boostmydrivetoday.com. Again, go to www.boostmydrivetoday.com and claim your sample of Spartagen XT today. Believe me, you'll be thanking me for it. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration, plus a free extra gift so sensual we can't mention it on the radio. And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type BABE69 for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code BABE69 at adamandeve.com. And welcome back, Renegade Nation. If you're just tuning in, this is The World in My Eyes, and I am Spooky Naughty Nicole. And today, we're talking about the history of my most favorite holiday, Halloween. And I know that today's topic is a little bit scary, but there's nothing scary about our sponsor, Adam and Eve Toys. They have a vast selection of adult toys, movies, and oh, so much more. So if you're looking for something devilish, head on over to Adam and Eve Toys because they will treat you right. And remember, use offer code BABE69 to get one hell a ween of a deal. But back to our topic at hand, and let's talk about how Halloween made its way to the beautiful shores of our United States. Celebration of Halloween was extremely limited in colonial New England because of the rigid Protestant belief systems there. Halloween was much more common in Maryland and the southern colonies. As the beliefs and customs of different European ethnic groups, as well as the American Indians, meshed, a distinctly American version of Halloween began to emerge. The first celebrations included play parties, Public events held to celebrate the harvest, where neighbors would share stories of the dead, tell each other's fortunes, dance, and sing. 
Colonial Halloween, Halloween festivities also featured the telling of ghost stories and mischief-making mischief of all kinds. By the middle of the 19th century, annual autumn festivities were common, but Halloween was not yet celebrated everywhere in the country. Nope. In the second half of the 19th century, America was flooded with new immigrants. And these new immigrants, especially the millions of Irish fleeing Ireland's potato famine of 1846, helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween nationally. Taking from Irish and English traditions, Americans began to dress up in costumes and go house to house asking for food or money. A practice we're probably going to start doing as soon as we elect a new person for president. Oh, sorry. A practice that eventually became today's trick-or-treat tradition. Young women believed that on Halloween, they could divine the name or appearance of their future husband by doing tricks with yarn, apple parings, or even mirrors. In the late 1800s, there was a move in America to mold Halloween into a holiday, more about community and neighborly get-togethers than about ghosts, pranks, and witchcraft. At the turn of the century, Halloween parties for both children and adults became the most common way to celebrate the day. Parties focused on games, foods of the season, and festive costumes. Parents were encouraged by newspapers and community leaders alike to take anything frightening or grotesque out of Halloween celebrations. Party poopers. Because of these efforts... Halloween lost most of its superstitious and religious overtones by the beginning of the 20th century. By the 1920s and 1930s, Halloween had become a secular but community-centered holiday, with parades and town-wide parties as the featured entertainment. Despite the best efforts of many schools and communities, vandalism began to plague Halloween celebrations in many communities during this time. By the 1950s, town leaders had successfully limited vandalism and Halloween had evolved into a holiday directly ma directed mainly at the young. Due to the high numbers of young children during the 50s baby boom, parties moved from town civic centers into the classrooms or homes, where they could be more easily accommodated. Between 1920 and 1950, the centuries-old practice of trick-or-treating was also revived. Trick-or-treating was a relatively inexpensive way for an entire community to share the Halloween celebration. In theory, families could also prevent tricks being played on them by providing the neighborhood children with small treats. A new American tradition was born, and it has continued to grow. Today, Americans spend an estimated $6 billion annually on Halloween, making it, making it the country's second largest commercial holiday. But Halloween has always been a holiday filled with mystery, magic, and superstition. It began as a Celtic end-of-summer festival during which people felt especially close to deceased relatives and friends. For these friendly spirits, they set places at the dinner table, left treats on doorsteps and along the side of the road, and lit candles to help loved ones find their way back to the spirit world. Today's Halloween ghosts are often depicted as more fearsome and malevolent, and our customs and superstitions are scarier too. 
we avoid crossing paths with black cats, afraid that they might bring us bad luck. Now this idea has its roots in the Middle Ages, when many people believed that witches avoided detection by turning themselves into cats. We try not to walk under ladders for pretty much the same reason. Yeah, that superstition may have come from the ancient Egyptians, who believed that triangles, triangles or pyramids, were sacred. It also may have something to do with the fact that walking under a leaning ladder tends to be fairly unsafe. But make up your own mind. And around Halloween, especially, we try to avoid breaking mirrors, stepping on cracks in the road, or spilling salt. But what about the Halloween traditions and beliefs that today's trick-or-treaters have forgotten all about? Many of these obsolete rituals focused on the future instead of the past, and the living instead of the dead. In particular, many had to do with helping young women identify their future husbands and reassuring them that they would someday, with luck, by next Halloween, be married. Yeah, who gives a crap about that? In 18th century Ireland, a matchmaking cook might bury a ring in her mashed potatoes on Halloween night, hoping to bring true love to the diner who found it. In Scotland, fortune tellers recommend, recommended that an eligible young woman name a hazelnut for each of her suitors and then toss the nuts into the fireplace. I am so not going to touch that one. <laughs> The nut that burned to ashes rather than popping or exploding, the story went, represented the girl's future husband. And, in some versions of that legend, the opposite was true, that the nut that burned away symbolized a love that would not last. Yet another tale had it that if a young woman ate a sugary concoction made out of walnuts, hazelnuts, and nutmeg before bed, on Halloween night, she would dream about her future husband. I'm guessing she's probably going to puke. Young women tossed apple peels over their shoulders, hoping the peels would fall on the floor in the shape of their future husband's initials. Tried to learn about their futures by peering at egg yolks floating in a bowl of water, and stood in front of mirrors in darkened room, holding candles and looking over their shoulders for their husband's faces. Other rituals were more competitive. At some Halloween parties, the first guest to find a burr on a chest chestnut hunt would be the first to marry. At others, the first successful apple bobber would be the first one down the aisle. Now, you may start to think that Halloween is a pretty bizarre holiday, and it kind of is. But what other ce celebration would inspire both a sexy Olaf costume and spooky drones? <laughs> that said, sexy snowmen can't hold a candle to Halloween's truly bizarre origins, even if that's just because a snowman would melt if it held a candle. Um, but yeah, okay. Chances are, you really have no idea just how weird Halloween truly is. So, let me continue to enlighten you. If you'd been around for the earliest Halloween celebrations, you might have actually worn animal skins and heads. Yep, that's right. According to ancient Roman records, tribes that were located in what's today today is known as Germany and France traditionally wore costumes of animal heads and skins to connect to spirits of the dead. This tradition continued into modern-day celebrations that inspired Halloween all over, the, all over the world. On this day, merrymakers often dressed as evil spirits, simply by blackening their faces. The leader of the Samhain Parade wore a white sheet and carried a wooden horse head or a decorated horse skull. Young people also celebrated by cross-dressing, 
wow, it kind of sounds like a few towns I know. Jack-o'-lanterns, a staple of Halloween, were actually once made out of turnips, beets, and potatoes, but not pumpkins. The jack-o'-lantern comes from an old Irish tale about a man named Stingy Jack. According to folklore, Stingy Jack was out getting sloshed with the devil when Jack convinced his drinking partner to turn himself into a coin in order to pay for the drinks without spending any actual money. Jack then put the devil, shaped as a coin, into his pocket, which he, which also contained a silver cross that kept the devil from transforming back. Jack promised to, feed, to free the nasty devil as long as the devil wouldn't bother him for a year. And, if he, if he had died, the devil could never claim his soul. That's right, Jack tricked the devil, and once again later, getting him to pick a piece of fruit out of a tree, and then carving a cross into the into the bark when the devil was in the branches. This trick bought Jack another ten years of devil-free living. When Jack finally did die, God decided he wasn't fit for heaven, but the devil had promised never to claim his soul for hell either, so Jack was sent off to roam earth with only a burning coal for light. He put that coal into a turnip as a lantern, and Stingy Jack became Jack of the Lantern, or Jack-o'-lantern. Based on this myth, the Irish carved scary faces into turnips, beets, and potatoes to scare away Stingy Jack or any other spirits of the night. And as we've already heard, Halloween used to be a great day to find your soulmate. In some parts of Ireland, people celebrated Halloween by playing romantic fortune-telling games. These games allegedly predicted who they would marry and when. Since Halloween, like Valentine's Day, was one of the main celebrations of the year where young people could mingle with the opposite sex, it was also considered a good day to scope out a sweetheart. In America, young people, particularly girls, continued that old Irish tradition. And in a few American towns, Halloween was originally referred to as Cabbage Night. <laughs> now this came from a Scottish, a Scottish fortune-telling game where girls use cabbage stumps to predict information about their future husbands. In the early Framingham, Massachusetts, teens skipped the, the fortune-telling altogether and simply went around throwing cabbages at the neighbors' houses. And that's according to Framingham Legends and Lore. And it was not an isolated tradition, because in the late 19th century America, country boys reportedly rejoiced in throwing cabbage, corn, and other rotten vegetables at houses. I think they still do that. Of course, now we use toilet paper and we throw it at trees. Okay. And did you know that some animal shelters still will not allow the adoption of black cats around Halloween for fear that they might be sacrificed? Now... It's unclear whether black cats are actually sacrificed around Halloween, but there's lots of animal shelters out there that are going to refuse to let people adopt these cats in the lead-up to the holiday, just in case. And most important, studies have shown that Halloween actually makes kids act more evil, and even more so if they live near a cornfield. Oh, I'm sorry, going children in the corn on you. Putting, putting costume-wearing kids into groups and introducing a clear object of desire, like candy, has been shown to lead to de-individualization. Oh yeah, 
That's a big old psychological term that explains what happens when a group of maturing young minds begins to care less about the consequences of their individual actions, leading them to do things that they might not do alone. Anybody else thinking Lord of the Flies? All right, my ghoulish little listeners, it's that time again, and we need to visit our sponsors. So take a moment, check out what they have to offer. Meet me back here after the break. I am spooky, naughty Nicole, and you are listening to The World in My Eyes here on Renegade Talk Radio. Hello, Renegade Nation. It's Naughty Nicole here from Big Trouble in Little Vagina. And I have something very special to talk to you about. Are you lonely? Do you want somebody that you can hang out with? Maybe some friends with benefits? Maybe a little lover that you could take in the evening? Or maybe you're more interested in a serious girlfriend or boyfriend? Maybe even marriage? Nah, nobody's interested in that. Maybe you're just looking for somebody that you can hang out with and have a good time with and somebody who thinks the way you do or talks the way that you do and you're tired of all those dating sites out there. Well, let me tell you, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you RenegadeMatch.com. That's right, Renegade Nation, we've got a whole new dating website made just for the renegade in you to help you find that other half of the perfect life. Check out RenegadeMatch.com now. And welcome back, my ghostly little listeners, to Renegade Nation. If you're just tuning in, this is still the world in my eyes, and I am the very creepy and naughty Nicole. And I hope that during the break, you took a little bit of time to visit our sponsor, Adam and Eve Toys, and check out the wide selection of adult toys, movies, and oh so much more. If you're looking for something special, then head on over to Adam and Eve Toys, because they will treat you right. And today, we've been talking about the history of my very favorite holiday, Halloween. And as always, you know I like to end things on a high note. And today, well, it's not going to be any different. But instead of a high note, how about some frightening facts to get us all in the mood for Halloween? So, did you know that when you're outside, you are usually within six feet of a spider? Worldwide, there are 30,000 species of these eight-legged creepy crawlies. And did you know that in Berlin, Germany, there's an There is actually a hotel where you can sleep in a coffin. Now, unlike Hotel California, they will allow you to check out in the morning and leave. Now, here's one I didn't know and it kind of freaked me out a little bit. Did you know that horned lizards can actually shoot blood out of their eyes? Yeah, that fucking freaked me out. When threatened, they'll blow themselves up to twice their size and then... If they still feel threatened, they will shoot blood from their eyes up to distances of three feet. That is fucking freaky. Now, I know we think that black cats are bad luck, but not in England. Nope. In fact, in England, black cats are considered good luck. And in Japan, they're even given as wedding presents. And did you know that there really are people in this world who consider themselves vampires? Yep. Yep. 
And they really do dress in black. They do really roam the nightscape. And they really do drink human blood. I'm just saying, if they're sexy as the ones in the fucking movies, send them my way. <laughs> Did you know that some medical historians have connected the dots between the, the concept of a vampire and rabies outbreaks? Interestingly enough, people that suffer from rabies are often very sensitive to light and they are inclined to bite other people. And I'm guessing that they do foam at the mouth. Now, in the past, when medicine was not as advanced as it is today, there were lots of people that were actually buried alive. During the plague in the 17th century Europe, for example, historical records indicate at least 149 people that were presumed to be dead were actually buried alive. Now, this is also the origin of the term dead ringer. That's right, because when burying people, they would leave a bell on the grave and tie it to the arm or finger of the deceased. If the deceased had been accidentally buried alive, they would become, you guessed it, a dead ringer. And hopefully somebody would come and unbury them. Did you know that the fear of bur being buried alive is actually called taphephobia? Oh yeah, I can't pronounce that. But really, is anybody not taphephobic? Because I'm pretty much going to say I don't want to be buried alive. And... In honor of Halloween, I found some Halloweeny or Halloweenish <laughs> sounding towns that really do exist. Did you know there's a spider web South Carolina? There's a Goblin Town, Virginia. There's a Bat Cave, North Carolina. Now I'm wondering, does Batman live there? Because it is the Bat Cave. Okay. There's a scary West Virginia. I've been to West Virginia and there are some scary places there. There's a Frankenstein, Missouri. There's a Dead Man's Crossing, Indiana. Of course, we have Tombstone, Arizona. Black Cat, Air Arkansas. Screamersville, Virginia. Pumpkin, Texas. Bloody Corners, Ohio. And my personal favorite, Erie, Indiana. That's one of my favorites. And if anybody gets the joke to that, you're kind of old. <laughs> Jumping spiders, by the way, skip web spinning and instead use their delicious eight little eyes to track their next meal and then they leap up to 50 times their own body length to capture their unsuspecting prey and speaking of spiders which i know freak a lot of people out but i kind of like spiders because they're kind of cool and this is one of the cool facts that i know about spiders did you know that spiders actually cannot chew that's right instead spiders will actually liquefy the inside of their prey with a chemical that they produce and then suck up the juices. Gives a whole new meaning to swallowing. Okay, superstition about the number 13 still runs high in these good old United States. In fact, most hotels don't even have a 13th floor. I mean, they do, but they call it floor 14. Because if they didn't, many people would refuse to stay on the floor. Flying on Friday the 13th or taking a 13th row seat on a train or airplane is actually considered a big no-no by so many people who fear the number. By the way, fear of the number 13 is trestidectophobia. Now, traditionally in Scandinavia, when a child loses a tooth, they burn it. They thought that if a witch found it, the witch could actually hex the child. I'm thinking the child might already be hexed. And did you know that apparently there are insurance companies 
like the reputable Lloyds of London, that actually sell policies that insure individuals that happen to morph into a werewolf or a vampire. Apparently, hundreds of people have purchased such coverage. Now, in America, would turning into a werewolf be considered a pre-existing condition? Because I want to know if my HMO is going to cover it. Okay. Did you know that in 2002, the 500-year-old Royal Falcon Hotel in England was actually inclined to purchase insurance that would cover any incidents that led to death or disability from ghosts and or other parapsychological phenomena? According to BBC News, the Royal Falcon actually pays £768 a year for nearly £1.5 million in coverage. And, last but not least, my lovely listeners, a phobia of Halloween is actually called Samhainphobia. Are you Samhainphobic? And if you are, well then I apologize. And with that, my lovelies, we have come to the end of our episode, and I thank you for joining me today. I hope that you had a ghoulish time. And remember, I'd love to hear from you, as always. You can find me at my website, www.nicoledelacroix.com, or over on Twitter at at Nicole Delacroix. And if you're liking what you hear, then make sure you pick up a copy of my book, Sexual Confessional Confidential Admissions from Social Media. It is available on Amazon.com and all other major booksellers. Well, that's our time for today. And I do want to thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And don't forget to join me next time. And for something truly scary, until then, remember in the immortal words of Jay Hawkins, I put a spell on you, and now you're mine. See you next time, my precious little heathens. Mwah. <laughs> we don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade.